Well, hello there. How's it going, everybody? Welcome to D4. This is the show where each week we take a deep dive into one, sometimes two, specific character builds for Dungeons & Dragons. We theorycraft about them, we crunch numbers about them, not with the intent to tell you the right way or the best way to play a character necessarily, but to just explore one potential option for playing a particular character build in the hopes of creating something that is both really fun but also really powerful to play. So if you enjoy creating characters for D&D almost as much as you enjoy playing the actual game itself, or you're just looking for ideas or tips or tricks on a character that you're thinking about building, then welcome home. This is absolutely where you belong, and I am so glad you're here. So thank you for being here. My name's Colby, and I'll be your host. Really quick, if you would like to have a written step-by-step guide for recreating this build and all of the other builds that I do for my channel, I would love it if you would consider joining the channel as a member. There should be a little button down there to click on to show you how to do that. For $2 a month, you get a written guide to every build that I do, so you don't have to go watch the video again or take notes. But also, it's just a nice way to support the channel and help me create more and better content. So huge thanks to all my channel members. You guys are awesome. But you know what? The rest of you are also awesome. Even if you don't want to be a channel member, that's okay. Just being here and liking and subscribing and commenting are all also great ways to support the channel, so thanks. Right, so I've been gone actually on vacation for two weeks, and I know that I only missed one week because I had a little bit of a buffer, but it just feels like it's been forever, and I am so excited to be back and to be talking with you guys again and to doing another build. It feels like it's been forever. I don't know about you, But yeah, good to be back. Had a fantastic vacation. We went to Northern California and um, the Oregon coast and Multnomah Falls, among other places, in the Columbian River Gorge, and it was gorgeous. Maybe I'll post some pictures or something in the community or on Twitter or something. Or on my Instagram. If you follow me on Instagram, you can find it, but I don't... Maybe I'll put a link to my personal Instagram account. Is it weird if I put my personal Instagram account on my YouTube channel? I don't know. Anyway, awesome to be back. Excited to jump in. So let's jump in. I have done a lot of tank builds on this channel, as many of you know. They are among my favorite characters to both create and play. There's just something to me that's incredibly fun and satisfying about being a character whose primary goal in life is to protect their allies. I don't know, I guess it's just the inner dad in me. One thing that I have yet to do on the channel to date is to create a tank that is primarily a druid. And this is in spite of the fact that so many people love to claim that the moon druid in particular makes a fantastic tank because they are so hard to kill thanks to all of those extra hit points that you get from wild shape. But of course, longtime viewers of my channel know what's coming next, right? Just being hard to kill does not a tank make. And unfortunately, there's not a lot about the moon druid that just inherently encourages the enemy to attack them instead of their friends, which is sort of the primary way that a tank archetype, a protector, actually does their job of protecting their allies. I mean, especially with moon druids, they can't even throw out an effective your mother was a hamster taunt like we discussed in the bard tank build a few weeks ago. Since when wild shaped, you can't really speak unless you wild shape into like a parrot or a raven or something, I guess. So just like with any tank or protector build, 
if we want to make a moon druid who actually puts that really fantastic survivability to use, we need to give them a way to encourage enemies to attack them instead of their friends. And any additional features we can pick up that offer more protection for our allies, the better. So that's what we're going to do today. Find a way to take that incredible survivability inherent in moon druids and give them ways to not only enhance that survivability further, but give them some tools to actually help them protect their allies and not just be a big bag of hit points that does fairly minimal damage in combat after early game. And that's pretty much the preamble. I know it was kind of short today, but we've got a lot to cover. So I am super excited to present episode 101. Should I start calling it like season two or something? I don't know. Anyway, 101 the Moon Guardian. Huge thanks to my good friend Randall Hampton who creates fantastic artwork for each character concept that I send him every week. He's such a great artist and I'm so thrilled to see how full his schedule is with commissions. It seems like they're closed more often than not these days, but if you're interested in following him to see the amazing artwork that he puts out and to potentially reach out to him to see if you could commission him for some artwork of your own or for your group, then I will, as always, put links in the video description on how to do so. Thanks, Randall. You are the best. Also, before we jump in, a quick word about Roll for Combat's Kickstarter campaign for their fantastic new Battle Zoo books, as they are again the sponsor for the video this week, and their Kickstarter launches today as of this release, July 26th. Now, a month ago, I introduced you guys to this Kickstarter consisting of three fantastic 5e and Pathfinder compatible books. I've been focusing mostly on the Battle Zoo Eldemon book, which will give you a way to add collectible pets that you can evolve and battle, similar to to like Pokemon, but for D&D or Pathfinder. There's also the Battle Zoo Ancestries Year of Monsters book, which will include new races for players, monsters, weapons, dungeons, and more. But today, I wanted to spend a little bit of time focusing on the book I haven't really made a lot of mention of thus far, the Battle Zoo Bestiary Strange and Unusual book. So as I've mentioned, this bestiary is going to have over 150 new monsters available in it. And they are some of the wildest, weirdest, and most unusual creatures you've ever seen in a game. Each of them were submitted to the 2022 RPG Superstar contest, for those who are familiar with that, and all of them have been compiled for you here, and you can actually even see the winning author's name on each page. Now, in addition to just being a fantastic bestiary, there will also be new imbued properties, including properties for all Eldemon elements that don't currently have them, air, earth, water, and some other stretch goal elements in the Kickstarter, and weird ones as well, like the tentacular extension imbued property. There will be new options for the monster parts crafting system. This is actually a system that I've talked about in a previous video that Roll for Combat sponsored several months ago. It allows you to like refine monster parts from monsters that you've slain and create custom weapons, armor, shields, skill items, magic items, and more. Really cool. There will be several new character backgrounds included in this book as well, new magic items, and in addition, and this might even be my favorite thing about this book, there will be an aberrant soul archetype like subclass for player characters, and this subclass sort of slowly transforms into an aberration as you level up. So you can fulfill all of your greatest Lovecraftian fantasies. 
Now, so if you haven't already, head over to kickstarter.rollforcombat.com right here. I'll put it in the video description as well. Back this project, you will not be disappointed. And for the first 48 hours of the Kickstarter, everyone who backs them at the level of like a physical copy of the three products will get a hard leather dice case for free. Awesome. Huge thanks to Roll for Combat. They've probably already passed their funding goal by the time you're watching this, but I really appreciate you guys and let's jump into the build. All right. At level one, for our class, we're actually going to start off this character as a barbarian. Just like with all of my tank builds, I want to start off the character trying to beeline for the things that are going to give us abilities to protect our allies, discourage our enemies from attacking our friends and attacking us instead, etc. With this character, I think barbarian is the best route to go. I think at the beginning of this character's career, they would, for me anyway, I think they would probably hail from a tribe that is especially reverent towards nature and animals in particular. They're likely led by like an archdruid or maybe a council of druids. And I think my character would probably either be like a trained protector of those druids in their backstory, or perhaps even more likely be like a druid in training who hasn't completed like their full druidic initiation rites yet or something. Maybe they're trying to follow in the footsteps of an influential mother or father or other mentor figure. But for our race, I actually struggled a little bit with this one, to be honest. I'm going to recommend going with the shifter, recently updated in MOM, Monsters of the Multiverse, but it's a recommendation that I make with a little bit of a reservation, let me explain. As many of you already know, the great thing about shifters is that times, proficiency bonus times per day, as a bonus action, they can assume a more bestial appearance, which grants us some temporary hit points and an additional benefit according to one of three options that we get to choose between. But we do have to choose which option we're going to take at the beginning of our character's career that's going to be permanent for them throughout their life. I misspoke about this last time. I used a shifter in a build. I think that was the bard tank. I said that you could choose every time you shifted, and that was wrong. My apologies. Anyway, um, of the three options that we get to choose from for our shifter form, we would take the beast hide option, of course, which tells us that when we shift, we get even more temporary hit points for a total of 1d6 plus two times our proficiency bonus, and our armor class increases by one. Now, the reason I have reservations about this is because of how bonus action heavy we're going to be at the beginning of combat, and because it might potentially conflict with wild shape depending on how your DM interprets things, but we'll discuss that when we get to Wild Shape. For now, I actually really love the fit of the shifter for this character thematically, as they're so close to and reverent towards animals, aspiring to even sort of be able to transform into one via Wild Shape like a full druid can. It's almost like their ability to shift is evidence of the druidic training that they've had thus far, though they haven't yet been able to fully master the wild shape ability. It's kind of how I envision this being in my head. But as for our ability scores, I assume the point by method is always and would recommend taking a 14 constitution and then a plus two there, a 15 strength and a plus one there, and then a 14 wisdom and a 12 dexterity. I did waffle a little bit on this as well. Since we're prioritizing survivability here, I will of course try to maximize our constitution, but as for a secondary score, I wasn't quite sure if I wanted to go wisdom or strength. I mean, I think I end up going strength primarily because 
you know, those times that I'm fighting in combat without being wild shaped, and especially for these first few levels of our career, it's nice to be able to more reliably hit and do a little better damage with our weapon attacks. You know, on the other hand, having a higher wisdom score would give you better saves on a really important saving throw, but then also make some of the druid spells that you end up getting later a little more potent once we have them. At the end of the day, as a barbarian, we're probably not going to be using spells in combat all that often. So yeah, I think I'm probably going strength, but I wouldn't blame you if you wanted to switch those up and go 16 wisdom. As for our starting equipment, I would go the gold buy method as I so often recommend and pick up scale mail armor, a shield, and then your favorite D8 weapon. For me, it'd probably be a battle axe because you are a barbarian after all. This is all in the interest, of course, of improving our own survivability because, yeah, even though we do also get the unarmored defense as a barbarian at level one, we currently at least get a better armor class with scale mail and a shield than we would with our combined plus four to our AC that unarmored defense would give us here because it lets us add our constitution modifier and our dexterity modifier. So yeah, that would be a 14 plus two from the shield versus scale mail, which would be 14 plus one from our dexterity, 15 plus two from our shield. So 17 and then plus one when we use our shifter, so 18. That's not a bad AC, especially for a barbarian. So yes, for now, don't go naked yet. We also, of course, as a barbarian at level one, get rage. So as a reminder, twice per long rest for now. As a bonus action, we can enter a state of raging fury, letting us do two extra damage on our strength-based weapon attacks, giving us advantage on strength-based checks and saves, and resistance to all bludgeoning, piercing, and slashing damage, which, as I so often remind people, represents most of the damage that most enemies in D&D 5e Deal. And that's fantastic for a character who's primarily concerned about being hard to kill. Alas, with rage, you can't cast or concentrate on spells while raging, and it ends early if you don't take damage or make an attack in a round, so be sure to always be doing one of those two things. At level two, we get reckless attack, which is awesome. This lets us decide when we make our first strength-based attack in a turn to attack recklessly if we want, meaning that we have advantage on all of our strength-based attacks this turn at the cost of giving advantage to our enemies on their attacks against us. This is Almost always a good idea to use on a barbarian, in my opinion, but on a character whose intent is to draw enemy fire towards themselves and away from their allies, it's even better. In a way, this is sort of like the first soft taunt that you get, since though it doesn't necessarily discourage your enemies from attacking your allies, it definitely encourages them to attack you. And at the end of the day, that's really kind of what we want to happen on this character. So I would absolutely use this feature every single turn, because if the enemies attack you as a result, well, that's what we want. And if they don't, then you get advantage on your attacks for free with no downside. Either way, you win. We also get Danger Sense at Barbarian 2, which gives us advantage on our dexterity saving throws versus things that we can see like traps and spells. Alas, we only have a plus one to our dexterity save, so if it's a really difficult DC, or even if it's just a moderately difficult DC, there's a pretty high likelihood that we're gonna fail anyway, even with advantage, but hey, It'll help once in a while, so we'll take it. At level three, barbarians get their subclass, their primal path, and we are going with not bear totem barbarian. Some of you were thinking I was gonna go bear totem barbarian because resistance to all damage. And yeah, that would make us harder to kill, but doesn't do as much as the ancestral guardian does for protecting our allies. So yeah, 
we're going Ancestral Guardian. If I had a nickel for every time someone asked me to do a bear totem moon druid build, I'd have like, I don't know, a dollar? <laughs> we really need to modify that colloquialism, don't we? Nickel just isn't what it used to be. Anyway, right. Just being a big bag of hit points that's hard to kill is not going to do a lot necessarily for your allies who you're trying to keep safe. That's just not a tank. That's a meat bag that can probably be safely ignored by the DM and or the enemies they're controlling a lot of the time, right? Now, yes, if you're doing a boatload of damage as a meat bag, then maybe that's enough to encourage enemies to attack you because you're a big threat on the battlefield. But for us, no not good enough. We don't want to rely on the mercy of our DM to do what we want them to do. We want to do everything that we can in our power, mechanically, to protect our allies, and for us, that means going Ancestral Guardian. So yes, our particular tribe of barbarians reveres not only nature and animals, but also their ancestors who went before them, calling upon those ancestors to aid them in battle. And for this character, I think I would 100% have the spirits of my ancestors, when they show up, take like the form of beasts, akin to, say, Harry Potter summoning a stag as his Patronus, representative of his dad, right? Because yes, the big feature that we get at level three as an ancestral guardian barbarian is ancestral protectors, which tells us that when we rage, spectral warriors appear, and thereafter the first enemy that we hit with an attack each turn has disadvantage on attacks against anyone other than you until your next turn. And thus, we have our second soft taunt to really help protect our allies. Better yet, if the enemy that you've hit decides to try and attack your friend anyway, and actually manages to hit them despite the disadvantage, your friend has resistance to all the damage that the enemy does to them. Because of this feature, I think many would argue that the Ancestral Guardian Barbarian is the best tank or protector subclass in all of D&D 5e. And I think that might be true. The one big downside that they have versus the Guardian Armorer and the Cavalier Fighter who get a similar if you hit them, they have disadvantage, feature is that your taunt-like ability only works on one enemy per turn, the first enemy that you hit, whereas the others can apply it to multiple enemies if they can hit multiple enemies on a turn. On the other hand, at least they don't have the downside that cavalier fighters have of the effect disappearing if the enemy moves more than five feet away from them. And that resistance to damage that your ally gets if they do get hit by the enemy that you've applied this debuff to is really pretty fantastic. You are now a stellar protector of your squishier friends, at least against one enemy per turn. So pick the hardest hitting biggest bad on the battlefield to go toe to toe with here so that you can best protect your friends. Don't forget that at this level, we also get a third rage per day, which is going to probably mean for most of us that we'll be able to rage on every combat or almost every combat that we'll see per day. And that's good to know. At level four, we get our first ability score increase or feat. And while there are plenty of things that I would like to take with this ability score increase or feat, you know, I'd love to bump strength for better attacks, bump constitution even, which we'll do eventually for more hit points and better saves, I do think that the tough feat is probably the best way to increase our survivability here. And since I'm a slave to the spreadsheet with these builds, and we're crunching numbers for survivability, I'll take the tough feat here to give us two more hit points per character level. And again, since when we're raging at least, we have resistance to most incoming damage that's closer to four hit points per character level compared to what other characters would get from this feat, and that's really, really nice. At level five, however, 
with our ancestral guardian subclass secure and the tough feet in place now i think it's time for us to take some druid levels some of you may think that's insane since the next level of barbarian would get us extra attack and of course if that's important to you go ahead and grab it i know that i've got a damage report coming at level six in two levels here and i want to be as tanky as possible when i get there so getting to druid 2 in time for that damage report is going to do some amazing things for our survivability so again slave to the spreadsheet if i were playing this character in game i'd probably go barbarian 5 first even though we're not prioritizing damage on this character but yes for this build for this video we're taking druid levels now meaning that our initiation into the ways of the druid has been completed and our real druidic training begins now a question i would have does this happen for you during like a dream or a seance that you participate in during a long rest with like your tribal leaders reaching out to you from your village home while you're out adventuring or do you have to make a trip back to your tribe in order to like finish this initiation are you given some sort of instruction by a bestial spirit that visits you sent from the leaders of your tribe is one of your party members somehow acting as an instructor i don't know but i would definitely find a way to work it into your story but as a druid at level one we get druidic first of all it's the special language that druids have to communicate with others who can interpret the signs and symbols that you leave with twigs and leaves and stuff like that sort of like thieves can't but more hippie-ish and then we get spells, of course. So as we've said, if you're raging, you can't cast spells or concentrate on them. And I'm going to assume that in combat, you're basically always raging, so long as you have uses of rage available anyway. That doesn't mean, of course, that there are no good spells for you to take and use. It simply means that you're primarily going to be focusing on spells, and this is true throughout this character's career, that offer great support and utility primarily outside of combat. So as far as cantrips go, I'd for sure pick up like Guidance, for example, to give you or an ally an extra D4 on your next ability check. I'd consider taking Shillelagh as well if you went with a higher wisdom score than a strength score anyway, as it lets you magically imbue a quarterstaff or a club to do a D8 of damage and use your wisdom modifier for your attack and damage rolls and happily doesn't require concentration. The problem with it is that it requires a bonus action to cast and only lasts a minute. So unless you have a DM that lets you go with the somewhat cheesy, I'm always just walking around casting shillelagh every minute on the minute without having to tell you that I'm doing that. It gets a little clunky to try and use in combat since we're ideally raging as a bonus action on our first turn in combat. It's not going to matter too much by next level anyway, since we'll ideally be using wild shape for combat, but for those of us who have more than two combat encounters per short rest regularly and thus can't use wild shape on every single combat encounter it's worth considering as for first level spells i definitely consider getting things like goodberry which is nice for both healing and utility um focus on ritual spells like speak with animals detect magic Longstrider is a nice one it gives us extra move speed but doesn't require concentration and then of course cure wounds or healing word if not both for use primarily to bring back unconscious allies. Though again, trying to use this in combat would mean ending your rage, so try to only use those things outside of combat or in case of dire emergency, I would say. Still, lots of great and useful things you can do with druid spells as a raging moon guardian. One thing to keep in mind, according to the player's handbook, druids will not wear metal armor. I've had great debates on previous videos on this channel as to whether or not will not means cannot, 
including this one where we discussed it at length in one of my sliding into my DMs videos. But for brevity's sake, and because it's how it seems to work at most tables, I'm just going to assume here that you are no longer wearing scale mail now that you have druid levels. And thus, it's time to go naked. <laughs> Yay! Because yes, the 14 AC that we would have, thanks to unarmored defense, is better than what we'd get with hide or studded leather plus our dexterity modifier. So feel free to go au natural, unless you've got like some dragon scale armor or nice magical hide armor or something else that your DM has homebrewed to allow you to essentially still wear the equivalent of scale mail or better. Or if at your table, will not doesn't mean cannot, and you're just gonna be a rebel. You can continue to use your shield though, don't forget, so long as it's a wooden shield. But at level six, we would be a druid too, and first up, that means we get wild shape. And level six is really where things start to come together, I think, for this build. So as a reminder, when you wild shape, you use your action to transform into a beast that you have seen before. That's important. Means that most of us aren't going to be transforming into like dinosaurs and stuff like that, I would think. Now, you can do this twice per short rest, as I've said, and the beast you transform into can't have a swim speed until you're level 4 in Druid, or a flying speed until you're level 8. You can stay in beast form for a number of hours equal to half your Druid level, rounded down, so that's one hour for now, and there's more. Your game statistics are replaced by the beast that you transform into, though you retain your alignment, personality, intelligence, wisdom, and charisma scores, including your skill and saving throw proficiencies, but you get to add the beasts as well. You can't cast spells while wild shaped, though you can concentrate on ones that you cast before wild shaping. Of course, if we're raging, we can't do either. Importantly for us, you retain the benefit of any features from your race, class, or other source, and can use them so long as the beast form that you've assumed is capable of doing so. Thus, we should be totally fine keeping our rage, using reckless attack, benefiting from our ancestral guardian spirits. I can't really imagine any DM saying that those things can't be done while in beast form. Has anyone ever had a DM tell them that they can't rage while wild shaped? But what about our shifter ability to assume a more bestial appearance? Here's where we get into what feels like a little bit of a gray area to me. So first and foremost, be sure to discuss this with your DM before you even bring this character to their table. As far as how I would rule it, and how I think most people would based on a bunch of forums that I've been scouring and tweets. I think if you use Wild Shape first, then use your shifter ability to become more bestial. Maybe your hide grows thicker, your claws grow longer, etc. I don't know why it wouldn't work. On the other hand, if you shifted first and then used Wild Shape to become a beast, that seems like it might be a little more dicey. But you know, maybe your DM will just decide that they work together and so who cares what order you use them in. But assuming that we're okay to use this, we would then get to enjoy an increase to our AC even when we're in beast form, as well as some additional temporary hit points for a nice bump to our survivability. But yeah, if your DM decides that no, once you're a beast, you can't shift in a way to become even more bestial, you're gonna wanna pick a different race for this character. If it were me, I'd probably go with a boring old variant human, so I could start with the tough feet right at level one. But anyway, let me know if this question has come up at your table and how it was ruled, or how you think you would rule it if it did. Finally, 
with Wild Shape, and most importantly for us, if you drop to zero hit points while Wild Shaped, instead of falling unconscious, you simply revert back to your humanoid self with any damage that you took that dropped you to zero in beast form, carrying over to affect the hit points that you have in humanoid form, right? So that is a big fat juicy layer of additional hit points that we get to stack on top of ourselves and we love it also of course druids get their druidic circle their druid subclass at level two and as i've said we're going with moon druid and one thing that we haven't talked about yet with wild shape is the cr of the beast that you can wild shape into but of course it's going to be different for us as a moon druid because we get to transform into beasts with a higher challenge rating than most other druids so right as a moon druid we get combat wild shape this tells us that we can use wild shape as a bonus action instead of an action that's nice but something important to keep in mind here is that as Jeremy Crawford himself has pointed out explicitly many times, can doesn't mean must. And as a character who wants to use their bonus action on round one every encounter to rage, that's good news, meaning that we could potentially rage as a bonus action and then wild shape with our action. Of course, if we were worried that not attacking after raging would cause us to lose our rage because we're not going to get hit, we could simply rage and attack on round one, and then on round two, wild shape as a bonus action and continue making attacks, right? Having the option is nice. Also, incredibly for us, while wild shaped as a moon druid, we can expend a spell slot with a bonus action to heal ourselves for a number of d8s equal to the level of spell slot expended. Since this is expressly not casting a spell, it's just using a spell slot for something else, it shouldn't interfere with our rage, meaning we just added a fantastic use of our spells where our own survivability is concerned, and that's great because we care a lot about our own survivability. Also, as a moon druid, we get the circle forms feature, and thanks to this feature, like I've said, we can transform into a beast with a challenge rating of one or lower currently, unlike other druids who can only transform into challenge rating one quarter or less. And thus, we have to ask the all-important question, what beast should we transform into if we're primarily concerned about our own survivability? There are lots of great options, of course, and I'd say for sure, feel free to mix it up for fun, or if there's a situation that particularly calls for one beast over another. You know, spiders get a chance to web an enemy for some nice control. Brown bears probably do the best damage of any option that we get at this level due especially to their higher plus to hit chance than other CR1 beasts. And hitting your target is going to be very important to land your soft taunt. But for pure survivability, I think our best bet here is to go with the direwolf actually. There are other creatures with more hit points, the giant hyena, for example, or the spider king, but I'm going to assume that your character hasn't seen the specific spider king that is specific to the out of the abyss module. Maybe I'm wrong and or your DM would decide to allow it, and if so, that's probably going to be your best bet. For the rest of us, yes, I think direwolf for a couple of reasons. One, they've got a solid AC for a CR1 beast at 14, and if we can shift after using our wild shape, we would have a 15 AC, relatively strong, with a respectable 37 hit points. Perhaps most importantly though for us, dire wolves have pack tactics, meaning that if you have an ally within 5 feet of the enemy that you're attacking, which should happen most of the time I would think, then you have advantage on your attacks, meaning you wouldn't have to use reckless attack and that means great things for our survivability. Hang on a minute! Didn't you just say a minute ago that giving your enemies advantage on their attacks against you would be a good thing? Why yes, yes I did. Do I contradict myself? Very well, then I contradict myself. I am large. I contain multitudes. 
So yes, this of course is something that you would have to decide. Do you use reckless attack, giving your enemies that much more of an incentive to attack you, thus further assuring the safety of your allies? Or do you rely instead on pack tactics when you can, hoping that the disadvantage that your enemy will have if they attack your ally, plus the resistance that your ally is going to have even if that enemy hits them, will be enough to persuade your enemy to just attack you instead, even if they don't have advantage especially since you don't have a particularly great armor class anyway, right? I can't really answer that question for you. So instead, when I crunch numbers here in a second, I'm just gonna assume the best case scenario for our survivability, as I always do, and assume that for now anyway, we're not using reckless attack, at least while wild-shaped. But you are gonna need to make a judgment call and potentially adjust these numbers accordingly. If you think you'd prefer to attack recklessly to further encourage your enemies, and, you know, remember our Ancestral Guardian debuff only works on one enemy per turn anyway, so maybe giving them all advantage on attacking you is a good idea. But if you're going to go that route, then I probably would go with a giant hyena for the better hit points. That's going to mean even more to us if we're raging. And just know that you will likely be totally fine. But yes, then, at level 6, it's time for our first damage report. For those new to the channel, this is how we calculate damage numbers against our tank builds. We pit them against three hypothetical combat encounters of medium difficulty, according to the encounter builder in the Dungeon Master's Guide, for a party of four at this level. One is a boss fight against a dragon, one's a typical fight against four or five like normal-ish enemies that you might likely run into at this level, and the third is just a level-appropriate fireball. We figure out how much damage our tank would take if they had access to all of their resources, so your spell slots to self-heal, a use of both rage and wild shape, and your shifter form, etc. That number of damage that we take is our DTPR, damage taken per round, and then we determine how long our character would survive if they took that exact amount of damage every single round, which gives us our rounds to die, or RTD. It's flawed, you might not be able to rage every single fight, you might not have spell slots to heal yourself, but it's also flawed in that in actual gameplay, every single enemy on the battlefield is very unlikely to spend their entire action attacking you and only you every single round, right? Unless we're very lucky, I suppose. I'm not actually trying to determine how long this character would truly survive against these hypothetical situations because that's silly. Who takes a fireball five rounds in a row? We're just coming up with numbers based on how tanky a character can be when they have access to their resources in a best case scenario situation as always. It's an imperfect but serviceable model I think so long as we apply it to every single tank character that we build, which I have. Right now, if we had all three of our first level spell slots to use to heal ourselves with, we were wild shaped into a dire wolf while raging and using our shifter feature. We would have a potential average hit point total of 60 in beast form, plus another 68 while in humanoid form for a whopping 128 hit point total at level six. Now, obviously this gets a little complicated when trying to crunch numbers because our AC as a dire wolf will be 15 while shifted and in humanoid form, it would be a 17. Plus, we'd be attacking recklessly in humanoid form, meaning enemies would have advantage against us. For brevity's sake, I'm just going to give you the DTPR of when we're wild-shaped, but do know that I have crunched the numbers separately for wild-shaped versus humanoid, and the RTD number that we come up with accounts for that difference. All right, so against our boss at this level, which was a young white dragon, our average damage taken per round was 14, and at that rate of damage, we would survive for eight rounds. 
the typical fight was against four berserkers and the DTPR was 11 and the RTD was 10. And against a DC 14 level three fireball, we would take 20 damage per round. And at that rate, we would survive for seven rounds. So compared to other tank builds that we've done to date, at this level, we're pretty much middle of the pack across the board, actually near the upper end versus that fireball, just because we have so many dang hit points. And frankly, considering that all those builds that we've done for tanks were built for survivability also, being in the middle of the pack is pretty dang good, especially considering the utility and support we can potentially bring to the table as a druid. At level seven, I think now that we've got our wild shape, our druid subclass, and some spells under our belt, we'd be kind of crazy not to go back to barbarian just for a minute, if we haven't already, to pick up extra attack, letting us contribute both more damage to the fight, but also increasing our chance of landing that ancestral guardian debuff on our chosen enemy every round. So yes, two attacks per turn now when we take the attack action. We also get fast movement, which gives us an additional 10 feet of move speed if we're not wearing heavy armor, and more move speed is always a good thing. At level eight, we could go back to druid here, but I think I'd get just one more level of barbarian first because the ancestral guardian barbarian feature at level six is really quite nice for a character whose chief concern is protecting their allies above all else. It's called spirit shield. And with spirit shield, when another creature within 30 feet of you takes damage while you're raging, you can use your reaction to reduce that damage by 2d6 as your spirit guardians interpose themselves between your allies and their enemies. Again, I don't know why you couldn't use this while wild shaped. It doesn't say that you have to speak a command or anything like that. Now, 2d6 is only seven damage on average, which isn't a ton, but there's no limit given as to how often we can use this. And since we don't have a particularly consistent use of our reaction on this character, I think it's a pretty solid feature, especially considering that the range on it is 30 feet, unlike similar features like interception fighting style and things where you have to be kind of right next to somebody and using a shield or a weapon for that matter. Seven damage per turn, every single turn, will add up to be a fairly significant amount of protection that you've provided by the end of most combat encounters. And it's a really fun additional way to help you feel like you're doing your job every single turn. Also, don't forget at Barbarian 6, we get a fourth rage. And so now I feel even more confident that most of us are gonna be able to rage pretty much every single combat encounter, that's great. But at level nine, I think we return to our druid training and, and I would plan on just staying there for the rest of this character's career. There's just not a ton to gain from higher levels in Barbarian, as we've discussed at other times on this channel. Aside, of course, from more hit points and a couple of other kind of okay features. But more druid levels gives us more and better spell slots for self-healing, if nothing else, plus more powerful options for our wild shape, among other things. So I think druid's the way to go. And thus, as a Druid 3, we would get second level spells. I'm going to say pick your favorite, but I would, again, as always, focus on out-of-combat support and utility options, things like Pass Without Trace, Lesser Restoration, Healing Spirit, etc., etc. For our level 9 damage report, then, the increases to our survivability that we've seen since last check have primarily been in the form of more hit points and more and better spell slots to self-heal with. But we have become a lot better of a protector thanks to extra attack, spirit shield, and more powerful support spell options. But at this level, including the self-healing, if we used all of our spell slots, we would have a total of 185 hit points between our direwolf and humanoid forms, which is kind of staggering for a level nine character. Just wait till you see where we end up. 
But our boss fight at this level was a young blue dragon, and if they just attacked us with all three of their attacks every turn, it would amount to 18 damage taken per round, and at that rate we would survive for 10 rounds. The typical fight was against four hobgoblin captains, and they would do 19 damage per turn to us, and at that rate we'd survive for 8 rounds. And then against a DC 15 level 5 fireball, we would take 27 damage per round, and we'd live for 7 rounds at that rate. Alright, so compared to other tank builds that we've done at this level, we're kind of in the bottom half uh, for attacks against our AC and still middle of the pack for that fireball. What we're seeing really, and this will kind of continue to be a theme, is that when it comes to survivability against things that are trying to hit us, we're just a lot better with a super high AC than we are with tons of hit points and resistance to the incoming damage. But also, since combat in D&D doesn't happen in a lab or a vacuum, I still feel really great about both our survivability and the ways that we have to protect and support our allies here. I mean, if you're fighting a young blue dragon and the combat goes for 10 rounds at this level, you've got bigger problems than your own survivability, right? <laughs> at level 10, we would be a druid 4 and we get a wild shape improvement, meaning that we can now transform into a beast with a swim speed if we want to. So things like the giant toad, or better yet, in my opinion, the giant octopus, are now potential options if we want to add a nice chance to grapple an enemy if we hit them. Could you transform into a giant octopus and fight out of water? Sure. You couldn't move very well, but it would be 10 feet plus our barbarian fast movement of an additional 10 feet, so 20 feet total. Not bad. And a giant octopus can hold their breath out of water for an hour. Plus, you know, you get a few additional minutes based on your constitution, I think. They have a 15-foot reach, and they have a very respectable 52 hit points. I would totally bust out the octopus once in a while. Because, if nothing else, how freaking hilarious would that be? Bloomp! <laughs> be awesome. We also get another ability score increase or feat here, and yes, in the interest of more survivability, I would bump constitution to 18 for better hit points and better saving throws. At level 11, we'd be a druid 5, and we get third level spells. There's lots of good ones here, dispel magic, meld into stone, water breathing, water walk, both of which are really great ritual options potentially for this level if you really need them. But I think I'd be sure to at least grab aura of vitality for a really great out of combat heal and of course revivify to bring a friend back from the dead if the worst should happen at level 12 we'd be a druid six and great news as a moon druid we now get to wild shape into beasts of challenge rating two or lower bad news the increase in power this actually gives us is fairly small at best and that's kind of the biggest complaint that most people have about moon druids right at druid two they get a huge power spike arguably too huge but from there, the increase that they see from better challenge rating beasts is somewhat paltry, in my opinion. That might be less the case if we're looking more at survivability and protection, but still, it doesn't always feel great. At this challenge rating, though, I think there would be three beasts that I would consider. The Plesiosaurus is nice with its 13 armor class and whopping 68 hit points, but since it's a dinosaur, I think most DMs would probably ixnay on the Easyosaurus play. <laughs> Stupid pig Latin. Besides, the better options here might be either the giant constrictor snake with 
only 12 AC and 60 hit points, but the very nice constrict attack, which can grapple and restrain an enemy that you hit. Or the giant crayfish that has a higher AC, fewer hit points, but they can grapple two targets with their claw attacks. As nice as grappling attacks would be, and the higher armor class to boot, I have a hard time imagining not taking the giant constrictor snake option here, personally. Now that we no longer have pack tactics, the truth is that we're going to be getting hit almost all of the time, since I'm assuming that we're using reckless attack consistently. And for that reason, I tend to value more hit points over a higher armor class, when it's only the difference of a couple AC, especially for us since we're constantly raging and thus usually taking half damage. Plus, the constrictor snake does more damage, can restrain in addition to grapple, which is much more powerful. They have a better hit chance, so you're going to succeed on those attacks more often, and a much tougher DC for your enemies to try to break out of the restrain once they're restrained. Plus, it's gonna just feel really cool being a huge creature, just squeezing your enemies to death on the battlefield. We also get the Primal Strike feature at Druid 6, and yeah, up until this point, our attacks while wild-shaped were not considered magical for the purpose of overcoming enemy resistance to non-magical attacks. If you find yourself running into this problem a lot, it may have been worth trying to get to Druid 6 sooner. That said, the truth is this character isn't really here to do a ton of damage, so it's just not something that I would worry about that much, honestly. We're here to debuff our enemies, protect our allies, and take a beating. Damage is kind of secondary or maybe even tertiary on this character, so haven't been too concerned about it, but feel free to beeline for Primal Strike sooner if you want. At level 13, we would be a Druid 7, and we get 4th level spells. Charm Monster, Freedom of Movement, doesn't require concentration, lasts an hour. Locate Creature can be super handy. Divination is a great ritual spell that gives your party some nice utility. But the one spell that I think I'd actually take and use on this character, and I'm going to assume that we're using going forward, would be Fire Shield. It costs an action to cast, but it doesn't require concentration, lasts for 10 minutes, so we could theoretically use it before wild shaping and raging, right? And would give you resistance to fire or cold damage you choose when you cast it. And then, when a creature within 5 feet of you hits you with a melee attack, which will almost certainly be happening all the freaking time on this character, they're gonna take 2d8 fire or cold damage for their trouble. Again, not a ton of damage, but also, like I say, very likely to happen a lot on this character, every combat encounter. And so will likely, by the end of an encounter, result in a fairly significant amount of total damage. Plus, it's freaking cool and fun. So yeah, I think if I had a fourth level spell slot to burn in a fight, especially if I knew a fight was about to break out but hadn't done so yet, I'd cast this spell. And even if a fight breaks out, you could cast this spell in wild shape on round one, and then on round two, rage and start attacking, right? And it's not like we're going to be able to use this on every combat encounter or anything, at least not now. But let's assume that we've got it up for our next damage report here at level 13. Since last check, we've gained more hit points, we've bumped our constitution, we've gained resistance to fire damage thanks to fire shield, and are now transforming into the beefier and control-happy giant constrictor snake. We have a lot more spells and spell slots with which to heal ourselves and provide better utility and support for our entire team. Again, including self-heals and the temporary hit points from Shifter, we have 159 hit points on average in total while in beast form, plus another 155 in humanoid form for a ginormous 314 total hit points. And admittedly, we're going to need it with our abysmal AC and enemies having advantage on their attacks against us. So 
against our boss here, which was an adult white dragon, we would take 25 damage per round on average, and at that rate we would survive for 10 rounds. The typical fight was against five Helmed Horrors, and the DTPR there is much worse, it's 46, and at that rate we'd survive for eight rounds, and against a DC 16 level seven Fireball, we would take 17 damage per round, and at that rate we would survive for 18 rounds. Keep in mind that the reason the numbers might seem a little off here is because the DTPR is quite a bit better now in humanoid form with our 17 armor class if we're shifted, and that's not even accounting for any like magic armor or shields or bracers of defense, etc., that we might have at this point. But regardless, our RTD is again near the bottom of the pack at this level compared to other tanks for attacks against our AC, and near the top of the pack now against that fireball. And I continue to feel really great both about how hard we are to kill and how much we're bringing to the table for protection support utility and even damage now if we've got that fire shield up at level 14 we would be a druid eight and we get another wild shape improvement meaning that we can now transform into beasts with flying speed that's really great for utility if nothing else feel free to transform into a quetzalcoatlus if your dm allows it or a giant flying eagle if not to like fly you and your companions to all of those hard to reach important places we also get another ability score increase or feat and i'm gonna bump constitution again and cap it now at 20 it feels great to have that capped though again you very well may decide to bump strength for better attacks when you're knocked out of wild shape or even wisdom for more potent druid spells potentially especially if you're having lots of combat encounters per short and long rest you know being a tank sometimes and being like a full caster druid at other times wouldn't be a bad way to go and might keep combat a little more interesting for you with the variety. At level 15, we'd be a druid 9, and we get 5th level spells. I'm just going to say pick your favorites. Mask your wounds is potentially okay if you've got a lot of people that need healing. Greater restoration feels like a must-have to me, but Gesh Awaken could do great things for combat, giving you like a big huge tree to fight for you. I have a little bit of a question on whether or not they actually would do exactly what you wanted them to, but anyway, lots of great options. PYF. We do also get to wild shape into beasts with a challenge rating of three or lower now. And of course, there are plenty of fun and interesting options. I really love the giant scorpion as they get to make three attacks in a turn, with two of them being grapple attacks again on their claws. But I think for tankiness, the giant snapping turtle is probably our best option with their impressive 17 armor class. 18 if we can use our shifter ability, right? Plus 75 hit points. But of course, at the next level, level 16, druid 10, moon druids get the very awesome elemental wild shape ability, which tells us that if we expend both uses of our wild shape ability, we can transform into an air, water, fire, or best for us, earth elemental. Earth elementals have a really nice 17 armor class, but then a whopping 126 hit points. They also get a lot of nice condition immunities, poison immunity, they have tremor sense, they can move through stone and do better damage than like any beasts that we could transform into, especially thanks to their plus eight to hit. Now, will you always have both of your wild shape uses to be able to spend to transform into an earth elemental every single fight? Depends on your table, obviously. I'm gonna assume when we're crunching numbers that we are transforming ourselves into an earth elemental and doing so is gonna be totally awesome. Finally, for us at level 17, we'd be a druid 11 and we get six level spells, you know, heal, 
is a fantastic healing spell. Hero's Feast is a really strong buff for your entire party. Transport via plants provides fantastic utility. These are my favorites, but nothing that I'm gonna say is like a must have for our tanky protector moon guardian here. So again, pick your favorites. And for our final damage report then, we've now capped our constitution and gained the ability to transform into the much tankier earth elemental, as well as gained a lot of fantastic self-healing, utility, and support functionality from our more and better spells and spell slots. Including self-heals, temporary hit points in earth elemental form, we would have a monstrous 295 hit point total potential on average. Of course, I'm sure you would never even consider using all but a single fourth level spell slot that we're using for fire shield to heal yourself while in wild shape form, but again, just exploring the possible here. In humanoid form, we'd be at 221 for a grand total of 516 hit points. And that is way more than any other tank I've ever built, and it's kind of awesome. But against our boss fight here, which was an adult red dragon, the DTPR would be 29, and at that rate, we would survive for 18 rounds. The typical fight was against five Earth Elementals, and that would be amazing to see, and I really hope that you get to fight a bunch of Earth Elementals at some point while you are transformed into an Earth Elemental, and you somehow just like fake out the rest of those Earth Elementals, and then when they're not looking, you just stuck or punch them. <laughs> anyway, uh, damage taken per round there was 60, ouch, and the rounds to die at that rate would be nine. And against not a fireball, but a level 9 spell, so Meteor Swarm, the DTPR was 98, and at that rate we'd survive for 6 rounds. And compared to other tanks that I've done at this level, we're kind of back to middle of the pack across the board, which makes me super happy, considering all the other tricks in our bag that we bring as a level 11 druid. And so, final thoughts. I think... At the end of the day with this build, I'm sort of of two minds as to how good of a tank this character would be and, and how survivable they would actually be in-game compared to other tanks that I've built. On the one hand, according to the spreadsheet, they're not really top in the charts, right? Those characters who can get their armor class up super high via heavy armor, infusions, fighting styles, the shield spell, etc., are just really amazing for survivability versus attacks against their armor class compared to this character. Especially characters like the Bladesinger tank or the Clockwork Soul Sorcerer, who could theoretically also have resistance to bludgeoning, piercing, and slashing damage like our Barbarian can. On the other hand, as I think was evidenced in the first one-shot that I did with the Dungeon Dudes and Triant Monk a few months ago when we celebrated 30,000 subscribers, where Kelly, if you recall, played an Artificer who could get his AC all the way up to like a 31 with the shield spell, sometimes a super high armor class just doesn't help us as much as we might like. If your DM just kind of decides to not really attack you very much, or alters the playstyle of their enemies to be more saving throw focused and to try and get around your crazy high AC, then that AC is not really doing you a lot of good. Of course, that is also a good example of why we always try to do things with our tank builds other than just be hard to kill, right? Finding ways to discourage our enemies from attacking our allies and attacking us instead. But still, DMs can find ways to work around that. But what they can't really work around is dealing with 
516 potential hit points, right? I mean, sure, they could bring, in our case, more non-bludgeoning, piercing, and slashing damage, so you wouldn't have resistance as often, meaning that that 516 doesn't do quite as much for us. But there's just something to be said about having good ways to discourage your enemies from attacking your friends and just having an ungodly amount of hit points. If the DM brings enemies that are doing like a hundred plus points of damage every single turn, then, well, they can't really attack anybody else but you because they're just going to one-shot everything. So, like, assuming standard deadly combat encounters, it's pretty hard to imagine this character ever dying. <laughs> Unless your teammates are just incredibly unlucky or just kind of don't really know what they're doing, I guess. And I love how big a beefy beefcake this character is. But again, you add to that the fact that they get to bring all of this fantastic utility and support to boot. Not to mention just how fun the diversity of constantly playing like a different kind of beast or elemental would be. Constantly adjusting to the situation. You know, sometimes fighting in humanoid form, sometimes as a direwolf, sometimes a giant snake, maybe throwing out a giant octopus once in a while. A huge snapping turtle or occasionally an earth elemental. This character I think would like never get boring to play throughout their career. And that might be my favorite thing about them. So that's the build for the week. I hope you enjoyed it as much as I enjoyed creating it. I hope you know how much I love you. You guys are awesome. Thank you so much for your support. I hope you'll check out the other content in the channel if you're not in the habit of doing so. But above all, I hope you have a fantastic day and a really great week and that you stay safe and that you be good and kind and that I see you again very soon. So until then, take care. vacation for a couple of weeks and need to shave or not i don't know what do you think should i keep the scruff it's hard it's hard to let it grow much past this because it starts to get itchy and i don't like it world without end couldn't hold her there's something that you won't show waiting where the light goes Maybe any way the wind blows, it's all worth waiting for. Any way the wind blows. If you are not familiar with Toad the Wet Sprocket's song Windmills, you should definitely look it up. One of the most beautiful songs ever written, as far as I'm concerned. Um, right. Um, plus another 68 while in humanoid, while in humanoid, while in humanoid form. My apologies. Oh, oh, great. Um, hmm, I gotta reschedule that. Mute. In a way, this is really almost like your first soft taunt that you get, since though it. Oh, we're still recording. <laughs> Sorry about that. In order to like finish this initiate initiation, in order to like finish this initiate, wow. In order to like finish this initiate, <laughs> I can do it. I can do it. In order to like finish this initiation,
Whew. That was, was close. 